Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Kurita, your host. Very happy to be with you again, and thank you for tuning in with us. It's always a pleasure to know that uh, people are interested in uh, finding out from the Bible things which uh, God foretold us, things which uh, are still about to happen, and uh, how uh, good it is to open the Bible and to check the validity of the Bible and um, being assured that we live in a time where we can trust God. We are not here just accidentally and not knowing where we're coming from or where we're going, but we are here because of God's plan for each one of us. And today it's a very special uh, Bible study. We will deal with a couple of um, dates and times and understandings. We'll come to that in a minute, but I would like to just welcome uh, our panel for today and thank you, each one of you, for uh, joining us today. And I'll just say hello to Lija here. Thank you for joining us, Lija. It's very good to be here. Thank you, Ken, being with us. Yes, uh, pleasure to be here as always. Helen, very nice to have you with us also. I'm absolutely delighted, and I think the study today is just exceptional. You know, we're seeing about prayer as well that God can answer. Sure. Len... Good to have you with us. Thank you, and it's good to be able to share God's Word. And hello, listeners. And Will. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you, Will. And uh, today we have also a special uh, uh, member of the panel, actually. He's the one who will facilitate this discussion, and that's uh, Pastor Joseph. Thank you for joining us, Joseph. Thank you. It's good to be back again and uh, really looking forward to our Bible study today. It, this is a, a great topic and uh, we're continuing obviously through the, uh, through the book of Daniel. And I look forward to us uh, uh, exploring it together, sharing, and in the next hour together that we have. Before we go any further though, we are going to uh, pause for a moment. We're going to pray together and ask that God will guide us uh, in our study. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, God, that you are a God that is living and active, that you hear our prayers, and uh, we thank you for this time that we can spend together looking at one of the great prayers and prophecies of the Bible as we continue our study through the book of Daniel. I pray that you'll bless each of us and that you bless everybody that's listening today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our study today is Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 begins with one of the greatest prayers ever recorded and it ends with one of the greatest prophecies that we find in the Bible. And through this prayer we will see uh, that there is a God who hears, who answers, who responds. And in, the, in that great prophecy we will see a God who reveals, who predicts the future and uh, knows with incredible, incredible accuracy. So, w as we get into this, um, I want us to, for a moment, just recap um, how does the previous chapter, Daniel chapter 8, finish? If we just, for a moment, consider the last two verses of Daniel chapter 8, it's verses 26 and 27. If somebody is happy to read that for us, thank you, Len. It says, the vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up 
and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Thank you, Len. That's where we last left Daniel. He has seen this dramatic vision of Daniel chapter 8, the study that we had last uh, of the previous topic. And uh, he was astonished. It says he was appalled, didn't understand it, but went around the, continued going about the king's business. And here is a man, uh, Joseph, who uh, was not uh, a stranger to the visions and uh, dreams and uh, understanding of prophecy. Yes. It's amazing that he declares that, which means it's a very significant prophecy, which uh, God has a specific plan on that too. And we are going to learn today uh, uh, how God was um, revealing to Daniel, not leaving Daniel in, uh, in that uh, state of discouragement, if you like. Yeah, yeah, Lydia. Uh, so Daniel uh, was shown a little horn growing and attacking God's people and uh, setting up a false worship system. And he was very confused. He didn't understand. And for a while, um, also he saw the 2,300 uh, evenings and mornings uh, and the, the sanctuary uh, sh should be cleansed. And all these things were very confused for him and he didn't understand and for a while he went back to the king's business it means he went back to work but in his mind he set up prayer and fasting and a, a closer relationship with, with with him for God to reveal him the meaning of the of the vision yes and that brings us and that's a great lead into Daniel chapter 9 what we're looking at now so let's let's read the first two verses of Daniel chapter 9 and see, see what it says there. Uh, Helen, are you happy yes, to read that? happy Thank to you. do that. I'm reading from the New Living Translation and uh, Daniel 9 verses 1 and 2. It says, It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. What, what do we find Daniel doing here? He'd been reading the prophecies yes. okay. of Jeremiah because he was probably trying to unravel this vision that he had before that completely dumbfounded him and he was probably looking for clues and here he was reading what Jeremiah had written and he learned something there that well, he wasn't too pleased about it. What, what, and, and what was it that Jeremiah had written? Let, let's look at that. Well, that Jerusalem would lay in desolation, which meant it was going to be sacked somehow or another. And so, well, I think it was already sacked at this stage, but it was going to not, wasn't going to be restored straight away. Mm. Okay. That, that meant a lot to him. Yeah. I believe that Daniel understood that the 70 years were coming to an end. And as he was reading Jeremiah, I believe this is why he was more intent on finding out the meaning of this vision. Yeah. That, 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 now, that is significant. Jeremiah, portion of Jeremiah, or the actual reference in Jeremiah, is where? It's in Jeremiah chapter 25 verses 10 to 14 essentially where it states that God's people the Jews would be in Babylonian captivity for a period of 70 years, 70 years. Uh, we, we have a specific time period yes. we come to 
to Daniel here, who's who's reading and studying the, these books of Jeremiah, reads this and sees that 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 God had predicted it would be that that the Babylonian captivity of the Jews would be for seventy years, and how much time has elapsed into the Babylonian captivity? Almost seventy years. Time was uh, coming to the fulfillment. Okay, but interesting here because. You know, I was wondering when I learned that, that Daniel was looking back into the scriptures, if you like, mm-hmm. for the time, into the what was for us, what is for us today, the Bible. Sometimes we may have that, how to say, we may hear around or we may know about things, but we may come across something difficult, and people are running to all sorts of sources for information. But here it's a good clue that Daniel himself, a prophet of God, was looking back into the scripture to see what's the meaning of that vision, of that dream. And that's a good application for each one of us here today and for all the listeners. We need to check the Bible for the accuracy of God's plan. It's a good example for all of us to follow. Very good. Thank you, Mm. Helen. I think it's interesting if you note verse 1, it says it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. Um, So we're given an idea of when Daniel was um, reading this Bible. He knew when the people had gone into captivity. Yes. And I believe in in one of the translations it says 70 weeks of years. Yes. Some people have said, oh, it was just 70 weeks in taking it symbolically, but no, it was 70 weeks of years. And and we can actually see that from where Daniel was at that time. And then, of course, when, when, the, when the Jews were released. Yes, yes. thank you. Ken? Yeah, I just wanted to add a little bit uh, that the Bible clearly tells us that the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals it to the prophets. So there is so much in the Bible, you just have to search it out. Yeah, yeah good. Len? Daniel was really searching for answers. It says in verse 3, and I hope I'm not jumping the gun here, it says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Now, I just want to highlight what Nick said before. It is good to turn to the word of the Lord Mm. to find the answers to life's problems. Mm. And Daniel certainly did that in no unclear way thank you approaching D-Day anyone would um, assess under the dangerous situation you'll assess your own life and the lives of those around you and this is exactly what we find Daniel doing he goes to God in prayer because he's worried about his own condition and the condition of his people on D-Day yeah yeah that's, that's, that's important. So essentially what we find is Daniel studied from the scriptures, from particularly the book of Jeremiah, that the Babylonian captivity was to be for 70 years. And we know from the time period that Daniel went in about 605 BC, it, uh, the dating that he gives us here um, in, in, in verse 1 of Daniel 9, that it is the, um, the first year of Darius, which brings us down to about 538 537 BC. So this is 70 years. This it, Daniel is recognizing time needs to be up for the Babylonian captivity, for the for, for his people. Time for them to go back. In in the back of his mind would be the vision of Daniel chapter eight, at that time period, and and what he saw predicted that what would take place with the sanctuary, 
and and in his mind he's thinking and wondering what does this mean what would this could this be referring to as far as my people are concerned uh, he knows from Jeremiah that it's meant to be 70 years and they're meant to the, the Jews are meant to return back to their homeland back to their city yet that the the prophecy of Daniel 8 is on is weighing on his mind and thinking is this going to happen is God going to stay true to his promise of the, of the people being able to return after 70 years or not and as we've identified it brings him to pray to earnestly pray I'd just like to also uh, again to mention that the, one of those verses which has been read at the beginning verse 26 from uh, chapter 8 because interesting here when um, Daniel was troubled and the vision and the evenings and morning which was told it says it is true but here is the thing therefore seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future okay i think this was the problem with daniel because even uh, you know god and through the messengers uh, of heaven uh, declared to daniel this is not for you to understand right now seal it it's for the future even though we learn now in chapter 9 that God comes to him and give more information in regarding to this, uh, this vision, that he may be at peace, as, uh, as we can say, and what he focused here next is not necessarily on the application of the prophecy, but on the preparation of God's people. And how interesting is that even for the end of the days, what's the focus for each one of us here? to prepare, to be ready, to come before the Lord in, in consecration, in supplication, in very nice parallel. I just want to use a modern expression where the angel Gabriel told Daniel to seal up the vision because it concerns time in the future. We would probably say it was a time capsule of information that Daniel wasn't to know himself and wasn't going to be revealed to anybody else until God was ready to open it. Mm. I, I think if, if we were to put ourselves in Daniel's shoes and, and look at that situation, it must have been incredibly difficult to get part of this information but not the rest of the story. And you'd be scratching your head thinking, well, well what does this mean and, and when's it going to happen? And it must have been very, very hard for him to accept this, I believe. Mm. So what we're saying is Daniel's been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. He knows that God has predicted through Jeremiah that it, that it, it would be for 70 years. He, he recognized that time must be near for the people to go back. And um, he, he, he therefore seeks God in prayer. And what we, what we will find as we get into chapter 9, as we go through our study, we will find that God sends the angel Gabriel to reassure Daniel, to bring him an answer, to say, yes, Daniel, your people will go home. Yes, they will rebuild Jerusalem. But God's answer to Daniel goes then beyond the immediate future, and that's what we're going to see uh, in, in just a moment. God reveals something more in, in the prophecy that we will see. Let's have a look at Daniel's prayer now that, that follows. So Daniel's been studying. Uh, he's been searching, as has been mentioned here. He, he's been really earnestly studying and, and praying and fasting. <coughs> then we have recorded here his prayer one of the great prayers of scripture 
beginning from verse 4. Let's look at the various elements of Daniel's prayer that are recorded here for us. How does he begin the prayer? I think um, as we should all begin the prayer mm. by praising God, although he did, it was before he said, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, but he goes on to say, he says, Oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fill your, <coughs> fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. That's a beautiful way to start. You know, he was saying, God, you are over all. You are sovereign and you are faithful. And you keep your promises. And he was recognizing that straight off. I think also what's interesting about that, of course, is that the very first thing he does is acknowledge God, who God is and what he is. And then the second thing he does, he acknowledges his situation, that he's a sinner and uh, confesses this before the Lord. So the first element of the prayer is essentially praise to God, acknowledging God for who he is, and for what he has done. And that indeed is really the, the way we ought to always begin with prayer. Notice it, it's, it's focused to God yes, and, and about also, him. Also the fact that he is virtually, well, he is saying we can trust God. Yes. You know, even we're praying to him, we can trust him and he will hear our prayer. Very yeah. good. And what was the reason for captivity of God's people? Because here it's very interesting also to to realize that God was not just dumping his people or uh, reject them. God was instructing, if you like. God was teaching his people. And through this period of captivity, even Daniel himself learned that looking back, saying, yes, we deserved this. And how good it is when you acknowledge your sins and you come before the Lord in prayer to to ask for forgiveness. And that's exactly what Daniel is doing now for himself and for the people mm. of Israel. Okay, so that, that brings us now to the second element of his prayer, verse 5 and 6. If uh, somebody could read that for us, maybe Lydia. So verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So we will observe here that Daniel fully identifies himself with the whole with his people so we observe that he several times he uses the pronoun we to me uh, it's something special because daniel was an uh, officer of the of the empire and uh, he d- he did not prevent himself from Id- identifying himself with his people uh, so his intercessionary prayer and his petition of pleading for himself and his people, even if he did not sin, but he identifies himself with his people together. Thank you. I find it very interesting that the first part of Daniel's prayer, he was basically basically saying, God, you are faithful, you are steadfast. And then the next step, he contrasts with the people. He said, we haven't been like that. We've been unfaithful. We've been sinful. I like that. that, that, Yeah, God's faithfulness 
if we were to go a little bit deeper and we don't need to s spend time on it today but really that, that idea of his faithfulness is, is this concept that that through the Old Testament especially this covenant faithfulness the in, in the original language is this idea that God uh, God will do what he promises uh, he, he's really trustworthy and loyal so you have that about God and what you're saying Len it's contrasted by when the law was given at Mount Sinai the people said all that the Lord says we will do mm. but they didn't yeah. and that yeah. was basically the history of the Israelite people for generations a long time mm. yeah. yeah very good so the second part of the prayer, after acknowledging God's greatness, goodness, awesomeness, is acknowledgement of sin, the human sin. Um, Daniel certainly identifies himself with the people, as Lydia mentioned, a number of times that he, he includes himself with them, reminds us, uh, I guess, of other great prayers of intercession, don't we? Uh, doesn't it? And um, and here we find that this is really a, a great prayer of intercession. Uh, another element to the prayer, if we have a look here in verse 9, who can read that one for us? Maybe Ken? Yeah. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. To our God belongs what? Mercy and forgiveness. He's appealing here to God's grace and forgiveness, isn't he? And uh, that gives us another lesson about not only about prayer, but what our attitude should be towards God as, as humans. The previous verse actually says, In contrast to us, O Lord, belongs open shame huh. to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. What a contrast between God's faithfulness and the unfaithfulness of the people. That's right. And what, da what Daniel is saying actually here is that uh, he's recognizing that we don't deserve God's grace and forgiveness. Mm. We don't deserve it mm. because we sinned against him and the penalty of sin is death. But what he's saying here, O Lord, Almighty God, to you belong this. And we only think what we can do is to trust in you because you are merciful. You'll never leave. You'll never forsake your people and as you mentioned uh, Joseph earlier it's again bringing into the picture that God is the same and what God said and promised even though it may seem sometime and to many people today those people who who will um, disregard God and they will call themselves atheists and so on because they say, oh God is not fair God is you know whatever if you look deeply into his promises God will never leave you without a, a response from him yeah, yeah and also uh, in this open prayer because it's it's an open prayer and a, a sincere prayer he fully acknowledges that the punishment that they deserve is the exile is their exile and yeah. he's pleading with god in this sincere and honest prayer yes that, and, and he gets into that next that's that's a good point thank you i believe this is really um, the crux of the matter when we pray that God will forgive us you know as we have read in that verse the Lord God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him I think that gives us hope yes that's that's just a text of hope for people some people say God can never forgive me I have done so much and yet here's Daniel saying God is merciful he's loving enough he will forgive our sins if we truly repent 
It's interesting to note the terminology that Daniel uses here. He says, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. Did you notice he's not addressing God personally? Mm-hmm. He's addressing the people in this particular bit. But later on, in verse number 18, he addresses God personally on the same issue. He says, We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Mm-hmm. So this was a prayer that was really for the people as well. Mm. He identified with the people, but he was... I don't know if the people got to know of this prayer, Mm. but if it was, this is what he said, of we make requests of him. Mm. Yeah, very good. And he goes on now, and in verse 11 and 12, here in Daniel chapter 9, and really admits, I guess, acknowledges, uh, recognises the reason why the God's people ended up in, in the captivity, doesn't he? He explains it there, 11 and 12. Uh, Will, are you happy to maybe read those two for us, 11 and 12? Sure. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us, because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there is not been any done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. So he really acknowledges here that it was because of the people's disobedience to God that they have suffered the consequences, are suffering the consequences of being taken into Babylonian captivity. Moses, just before he died, called the people together. The basic thing that he said to them, you obey God and you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. Joshua, the next leader, said much the same thing. Obey and you will be blessed. Disobey and you will be cursed. Well, I think this has a carryover until uh, to these modern times. If we obey God and honour him, we will be blessed. And I've seen that in my own life. If we disobey God, we will suffer consequences, bad ones. Yeah, so th- th- there's a, there's a um, cause and effect there, isn't it? There's this yes. rule that, that, that simply applies, that yeah, we, in a sense, will reap what we... So. what we say if we look back in Deuteronomy 28 I think it is where it has outlined the blessings and the cursings is exactly what, what um, Len was saying God was giving them a choice you know here are the blessings this is what you'll get if you obey me and here are the curses this is what happens if you don't want me in your life and when I looked at those I thought who in their right mind would pick the curses <laughs> And yet they forgot. Mm. They actually forgot and they focused on other things. And I believe the captivity was there to teach them, to help them, to learn. Yeah, I like that. Maybe another aspect of, uh, of this is that uh, Daniel says, we all sinned against you. We all uh, disobey. We all transgressed the law. And this is my question here. I'm pretty sure that there were still people in Israel who did the right thing. I mean, they were faithful to God. I mean, maybe even Daniel himself. Why is he saying, we all? 
Because here is the thing. We can be very guilty, if you like, because of our passive attitude towards what's going on in the Christendom. Even today, there are so many things going on in Christendom, and by not standing up, by not pointing out the wrongdoing, we are actually guilty of the things which other people are doing. And Daniel here is recognizing that, and it's taking responsibility for that. A great lesson to learn, I believe, for each one of us. Good, thank you. Helen? Are we not told that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Mm-hmm. And Daniel recognized that as well. He, he wasn't blaming the other people. He just came and said, we, we are all in this together, every one of us, including who's here. And Helen, that's yes. a good point, but I'm not talking yes. about the n- sinful nature of humanity. I'm talking about when God is choosing and God chose his people, Israel, to represent him. Now, God is, ch- is asking today for people to follow him, to represent him. Doesn't mean that we don't carry that sinful nature. We carry, but we are purposely, intentionally, we are disrespect, ignoring God's law. I was just trying to find the words because that's, I believe, a very big misunderstanding in our times when we say, oh yeah, we all are sinful people. Of course we are. But the Bible says you are chosen as like a peculiar people to uh, represent God and to show to the rest of the world the character of God. And Daniel, I think, is recognizing that. Well, there are different types of prayers. And I believe this was an intercessory prayer where Daniel wasn't just praying for himself. He was praying for the people. And I thought there's a good lesson here for us as Christians we don't just pray for ourselves and our families. We pray for people who haven't done the right thing with the hope that they will change their ways and turn to God too. Helen, you wanted to respond? Yeah, to I just wanted to add, um, let's not look at that text flippantly. I hear what you're saying, Nick, but there are some people who don't believe they're sinners. There's some oh. people that, you know, and, and we see that in Scripture as well. You know, where the Pharisee was standing there and he's saying, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that person over there. Yes, so I think it's important to stress that people, you know, don't take that glibly. That is very true. We are all sinners. And Daniel recognized that. Of all people, you read the life of Daniel. He was so close to God. You, he, you know, you'd almost think he had the right to say, well, it's all you people. This has caused that. But he didn't. I recognize what you said, but I think let's not just take that text sure. in, in a flippant sort of a manner. Okay. On, that, on that point, Helen, um, he was indeed a righteous man. You remember that uh, the um, people that wanted to take him down actually said we will find no fault in this man except that we find it in relation to the law of his God so he was a good man Mm. and I love it that he includes himself he says we have sinned and so you can you can think that you're living close to God but we still do not reach the standard of God's righteousness and it's he that provides righteousness for us Mm. aren't we told that our righteousness is as filthy rags I just want to say, I think that's an incredible, important point that Nick has brought up about passive sinning. Uh, Sometimes, perhaps, 
some of us may think, oh, well, as the panel have said, we're not doing too bad, but there's so many events that happen in the world, even in our own country here, that are totally wrong. And do we stand up and voice our opinion? Often we don't, and I think we should. I would like to say a little word in regard to the intercessory prayer. So Daniel prays an intercessory prayer for his people. So he he imitates Jesus. Jesus did the same. So it means we take our we take the focus from ourselves on others. And when Job prayed for his friends, God restored him and his friends yeah. so we have to practice intercessory prayer and, and this is this is a great example of intercessory prayer this 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 one that's recorded here there's one final element now that I want us to notice here in the prayer uh, verses 18 and 19 well actually even uh, 17 uh, f- from 17 uh, notice what it says here Daniel prays it says now therefore our God hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications and for the Lord's sake mm cause your face to shine on your sanctuary which is desolate for your sake he, he's appealing here to what to god's honor god's honor yeah verse 18 oh my god incline your ear he continues on 18 oh my god incline your ear and hear open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds but because of your great Mercies. He's appealing here to God's to God to God's honor. I like that he uh, tries to avoid casting reproach or dishonor on the character of God. Yes, and so and then there's that final appeal at the end in nineteen as he finishes his well as the yeah. prayer is finished. Whether Daniel said more, we we are not sure. But this is this is what scriptures recorded of the prayer. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Again, appealing to God's reputation and honor, really, uh, as, as, as he's quite passionately expressing that. I see a little, a little perhaps, uh, insult talking about the sanctuary. He says, look on favor on your desolate sanctuary. In other words, here this was for your honour, Lord, and it's in disrepair, and this is a bit of a black mark against you. I don't think uh, Daniel was accusing God of any wrongdoing, but he just said, look, it's, uh, this reflects on your reputation, my yes. Lord. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel's prayer is, uh, we observe here, that it's, he, it's motivated by the desire to vindicate God's people and also God's character uh, and he's asking to restore his people and the city because of God's honor and reputation that should be vindicated among the nations but uh, in the last verse it says because your city and your people bear your name how passionate was this prayer when you think about it mm. um, and I believe that he believed what he was saying Lord hear he was virtually saying, you're a God who hears. Lord, forgive. You're a God who Good. forgives. Good. Lord, listen. You're a God who listens and act. He's a God who acts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's tremendous faith on, on Daniel's yeah. behalf. Yes, mm. good. I want to bring this to the modern times, to us. 
It says in verse 19 there, O my God, do not believe because your city and your people bear your name. Mm. As God's people, if we do things where we've done wrong, we bring reproach on God's name, which is um, quite a serious business. Being a Christian, we represent God to those who are not Christians. And if we do the wrong thing, then they say, ah, that God is not effective. It has, he hasn't worked in their lives or something like that. Yes, thank you. So that's the prayer, mm. one of the great prayers. How soon was it before the prayer was answered? What was the response to the prayer? We look here in, now in the next, very next verses. Daniel says that while he was speaking and praying, in fact, in verse 21, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, and being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. How quickly did an answer come to Daniel? Immediately. And uh, he refers here to the man Gabriel. Mm. Now, what's the significance of Gabriel? Who, who is this Gabriel? Ha- have, we, have we come across this before? Mm-hmm. Gabriel was the messenger sent to explain the vision earlier. Okay, the messenger sent before. Okay, in other words, he's the angel. The angel, yeah. And, and you mentioned he was sent earlier. So tell us a little bit about... Well, earlier um, in the vision of the ram and the goat, the angel Gabriel had been sent to explain the vision to Daniel, explaining that the ram was Medo-Persia and the goat was Greece. And from that came this other power, little horn power, and so on and so on. So uh, Gabriel uh, gave the message from God, but coming back to the point, how quick was it? Daniel's prayer had ascended to heaven. How long did that take? (laughs) Was it as fast as email? Oh, no, it was faster. And the answer came. Mm -hmm. It was instantaneous. Yes, yes, yeah, good. And along with this also, I'd like to mention something else that we read in chapter 8 that Daniel, after the vision, he went to, to do his business in the kingdom. And he lived now in a, under a new rulership, which I believe was a prosperous uh, time, was a time when things were going well. Not even the, the Israelites were not uh, feeling very much oppression, maybe like previously. And there was that time of peace, if you like. And scholars and you know may think that were about 10 years around that time you know since Daniel had the vision up to this time when Daniel was praying to God what that tells me is this that we can be taken away you know uh, by surprise somehow in times of peace in times of uh, prosperity in times of you know whatever going well with you in life but as soon as Daniel recognize that he needs to come before God and consecrate and recognize all the situation, God straight away answered. Even though they delayed for a number of years to come before the Lord and talk about those things, when they did that, God straight away answered. And I think uh, uh, Daniel persisted, as it says in chapter 9, verse 3, he persisted in prayer petition fasting sackcloth and ashes i think he persisted this with god for for quite a long time 
I don't think it was just once or twice or, you know, because he had a very consecrated life with God. He, uh, he had a very strong relationship with God permanently. How does God answer prayer? In this case, God answers Daniel's prayer immediately. But God doesn't always answer our prayers immediately. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. What you're asking for is not the best thing. And sometimes he says, well, I will answer, but you've got to wait a while. You're not ready or the situation's not ready. Thank you. Yeah. Helen, do you want to comment? Yes, there's a text that says, before you call, I will answer. Yeah. And I believe here's an incident. Before Daniel actually had called, Gabriel was on his way. Yeah. And so we find here immediate response, the angel Gabriel, and the significance here of Gabriel being mentioned is to connect us back to Daniel chapter 8, particularly verses 15, 16 onwards, uh, because it's the same angel Gabriel that came then uh, to Daniel that comes here now. Daniel chapter 9... You remember, you remember in Daniel chapter 8, there was that incredible vision of the sanctuary, an incredible long time period. Daniel at the end is left astonished by it. Gabriel now comes back, and the reason that's mentioned is for us to connect it back to Daniel chapter 8, because essentially the explanation, particularly for the time period of Daniel chapter 8, last study, is found here in Daniel chapter 9, in particular prophecy that we're just going to get into into right right now. Gabriel comes to Daniel, and you'll notice there in verse 23, we we see here uh, that Gabriel says to Daniel, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. What vision? Well, it's the vision of the 2,300 evenings and mornings back in Daniel 8. So clearly what we need to notice here is that Daniel 8 and 9 are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. We need Daniel 9 to help us particularly to understand the time period of Daniel chapter 8. So then the prophecy. We, we've noticed that Daniel 9 contains a great prayer. Now we find it contains a great incredible prophecy starting in verse 24. And... Uh, Will, are you happy to read verse 24, please? Seventy weeks are decreed upon your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Thank you. This prophecy here, Verse 24 gives us like a summary, like an overview of the whole prophecy. Then it goes back and, 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 and gives us the details. The summary is that 70 weeks, a time period is provided here, 70 weeks are determined, are decreed for your holy people and for your city. 70 weeks. What is this time period? What, what is this phrase 70 weeks referring to? Well, if we uh, try to interpret it in a non-prophetic way, we end up with about one and a half years. So that didn't pertain to the time of the end, which was told before. Therefore, it's prophetic time. A week in prophecy is seven days. Sometimes the, uh, various translations of the Bible say 77s. Yes. Because of seven days in a week. And in prophetic time, 
a day represents a year. So 70 weeks will actually represent 490 years. Okay, so what we find here is it's 70 weeks, so 70 times 7 equals, 70 times 7 equals 490. In prophecy, a day represents a year, so 490 days equates to 490 yes. years. And, and essentially, in that time period is what is to take place, what's outlined here in verse 24. So here we have a, a, a 490-year span of time, period in which these events that are listed here in verse 24 are to take place. In fact, according to this verse 24, there are six things that it lists that are to happen. Did you notice mm. them there? Yes. What are these six things? Let, let's, let's mention each of the six things, shall we? To finish the transgression. That's one. To make an end of sin. Two. Good. To atone for wickedness. Good. Three. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Uh-huh. Four. To confirm the prophetic vision. Yeah, that's five. And the last one. To anoint the most holy. Okay, so that's the overview. And as we've indicated, if we were just to take this literally as 70 weeks, which is a year and a bit, there's no way that was that, that could take place. This is this is pointing us to something, something to someone and to events, uh, event, events in the future. That's the overview. Now let's look at the details, will we? The details begin from verse 25. Verse 25 reads: Know therefore, and understand, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So we just pause it there for a moment. Now it's, it's breaking down for us this 70-week period, this 490-year period, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Verse 25 gives us the starting point. The starting point for this time period is what event? Be rebuilding Jerusalem. The decree, the decree to restore and rebuild yeah. Jerusalem. Do we have any idea when that decree came out? Oh, we do. There are actually three decrees uh, issued by the Medo-Persian kings for the Israelites to go back and restore, firstly, the temple. The second decree was also to continue working on the temple. The third decree was given by Artaxerxes in 457 BC, and that was to restore not just the building, but restore the um, government, if you like, of Jerusalem. Why do we not accept the earlier dates? Is because they were decrees given to restore the temple, not the whole city. So there's a specific decree that we're looking for, and it's the one that you said, the, the, the decree of Artaxerxes. That's the one. And the date length, 457 BC. Yes is significant and and can we verify that date are we just plucking something out of the air or do we have evidence and and, and records of it we do in the book of ezra mm -hmm. and artaxerxes decree in particular is found in ezra chapter seven and so we can lock it down this is this is actual like a it's like an anchor point really isn't it um a starting point so 457 BC, that the, when the decree of Artaxerxes came out, is the starting point for these 70 weeks. Verse 25 says that from the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, 
there will be 7 weeks and 62. 7 plus 62 equals 69. 69. 69 by 7 is 483. If we added 483 to 457, bearing in mind that there is no year zero, Mm -hmm. it brings us to 27 AD. Here it tells us that from the decree until the Messiah the Prince will be 7 plus 62, which is a 69. Messiah the Prince is a reference to who? Jesus. 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 The Prince of Princes. Prince of Princes, exactly right. The Messiah. And what happened in 27 AD? Well, that was when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit following his baptism by John in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit came down on him. Very good. And it was anointed by the Spirit. This is incredible. And we, we read about that, obviously, in the Gospels, the, the baptism of Jesus, especially, and we need to just reference this, Luke chapter 3 it is really significant because the start of the chapter gives quite a detailed historical uh, account of who the king was and who the governor was and who was ruling and and there's some long names that can be a bit hard to pronounce but the significance of that is it helps us to to date this event historically that's Luke chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 and then you read on later in in Luke chapter 3 mentions that Jesus was baptized that's Luke 3:21 and, and the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and Jesus begins his ministry. He, he was anointed for his ministry. And so, is, isn't this remarkable? Mm-hmm. This prophecy pinpointed or predicted the very year of when Jesus would begin his public ministry. Mm-hmm. Weather forecasters often can't even predict the weather for the next day. Mm-hmm. Yet here we find this incredible prophecy that to the year... 500 years virtually in advance predicts the the, the year that Jesus would come. Mm. So verse 25 uh, refers to that. It then goes on and mentions that the the streets will be built again and the wall, even in troubles and times. It's kind of like going backwards and forwards. It's referring back to the the streets of Jerusalem and the wall being being rebuilt. And and that, that took place sometime after when the decree came out not 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 immediately but but it, it did take place uh, and then we come to verse 26 and get someone to read that for us please after the 62 sevens the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing uh, let me pause you just there for a moment Lydia notice it says after the 62 so we, we've just got to follow this through it, it said there will be 7 and 62 so that's the 69 which brought us to 27 AD Mm-hmm. Then verse 26, Lydia has just read. Then verse 26 says that after that, the Messiah will be cut off. Mm. Interesting phrase. That's right. So we got to 69, which means we're left with the one. So after that 69, so sometime after 27 AD, Messiah will be cut off. Did that take place? Absolutely. I'm sure it did. Yes. Yeah. And not just that, but it says in the middle of the week, if we read a bit um, going down, um, the Messiah, the well, anointed one. That's 27, absolutely. Will be cut off. That's right. Yeah. There's someone who want to read 27? Maybe back to you, Lydia. Are you happy to do 27 yes. for us? He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will 
put an end to sacrifice and offering. Let me pause you there. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the seven, what's the middle of seven? Three and a half. Three and a half. Mm-hmm. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Middle of seven is three and a half. Jesus' ministry was exactly three and a half years. And then he was cut off, but not for himself. He, he, he was killed, was crucified. crucified. Mm. And the cutting off of the sacrifice is well illustrated. Uh, you remember when the priest went in to stand before the veil. Um, the veil actually tore. Uh, and the the lamb escaped. That was the end, as far as they were concerned, of animal sacrifices being offered for sin. Very good. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. That's exactly right. It, it, with that dramatic event of his of Jesus' death on the cross, and the veil in the curtain tearing, not from bottom to top, or from top to bottom, signifying a supernatural event that the the, 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 um, the sacrifices had come to an end. Just what the prophecy here is referring to. Remarkable accuracy, isn't it? Mm. And interested, Joseph, just uh, looking at these dates, uh, because we are dealing here with a longer period, you know, the uh, 2300 uh, year prophecy, and the rest of it, it must apply and fulfill exactly in the same way where, as we depicted in uh, in the first part here with the 70 weeks. And that's amazing because even though people, when you read first, you may think about, you know, the cleansing of the sanctuary, for example, or uh, that refer just to the earthly sanctuary and in Jerusalem. But interesting enough that this prophecy is pointing to an event which will happen much later. Yes, yes. Yes. And if we have time to look into that just very briefly, where that will end and what was the significance of, uh, of this uh, prophecy. Yeah, well, just on that, I'll come to you in a moment, Len, um, because that, that, that's the connection. We said that Daniel 9 is the key, it is linked to Daniel chapter 8. And Gabriel comes and says, I've come to help you understand the vision, the vision of Daniel chapter 8. Therefore, the starting point for the 70 weeks is also the starting point for the 2,300 days. And there are a number of other links here, uh, not just that the fact that it's the same angel that comes, but also the fact that in verse 24 it says 70 weeks are determined or are, are cut, cut off. Cut off from the, the longest yeah, exactly. Uh, period. Exactly. So f- the starting point that we find in Daniel 9.25 of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem provides us with a starting point for the 2,300 days. Therefore, we can then calculate that 2,300 days started in, two, in 457 BC. You add 2,300 to it and it comes down to 1844 when, according to Daniel 8.14, the sanctuary would be cleansed. Mm-hmm. And that helps us with that time period of Daniel chapter 8. Len? I know there are some very different views around about the 70th week and so on and so on. But I'd like to point out here in verse 27, it says, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. How come? Well, he became the sacrifice and offering. Yes. He he was the sacrifice once and for all. It tells us that in Hebrews. So it was his actions that brought about the uh, no longer a need to sacrifice animals and so on. We can go direct to the Lord. Exactly. And, and then... As, as we look at the last bit of this prophecy, it says there, uh, if, if we have a look in verse 27, that he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's that final seven. 
confirm it. And, and we noticed that that one week goes from 27 AD through to 34 AD. Remember that at the start? It said 70 weeks are determined for your people. In essence, what that's indicating is the Jews were given an extra period of probation mm-hmm. up until 34 AD. And the Jews, yes, they as a nation in a sense rejected the Messiah, but they still had a couple more years even after the death of the Messiah. And it wasn't really till those events of the early Christians, particularly with when we think of one significant event that recorded in Scripture for us, the stoning of Stephen, recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 7. Significant event. Because in a sense that really sort of symbolized that they had rejected um, the Messiah and the, and the one that came to speak about him. In a sense, after that, you find that the gospel is now really going to, to everyone. It's no longer just contained to and, them. And that causes persecution to God's people, you know, yes. after that. And then uh, exactly what you just said, uh, the disciples or all, all others uh, went to the Gentiles. Yes. And the gospel was preached to the, to the Gentiles. And uh, not that, uh, to say now, because this, I think it's important. God will never reject any person from from the salv- plan of salvation. But as was pointed out, as a nation, Israel, they fulfill their time. And uh, everyone is welcomed to to come to God and to put right himself with God. Yes. Uh, but as a nation, Israel, because these are talks which we may deal later on in our studies, a lot of people uh, confusing, you know, the restoration of Israel as a nation to, to the final events. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Helen, you wanted to... Can I, can I just make mention in the studies, well, the studies that I've been doing, I believe that Daniel 8, 1 to 14 is symbolic. And that includes verse 14, when it says 2,300 days. That was symbolic of the 2,300 year. I believe the sanctuary that was mentioned there was symbolic of the sanctuary service on earth. And here we see that Christ actually fulfilled that. Mm. And that's why the other sacrifices were done away with. Mm. Mm. So that's a symbolic part. And now we're looking at the literal part that, that um, Angel Gabriel is saying, this is what it really means. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, thank you. And so we come to the end of this incredible prophecy. But we, note, we, we started with an, uh, an incredible prayer. Uh, of Daniel's that's recorded in the first part of it and and finishes with this incredible prophecy. Before we finish today in our study, I want us to just bring out what is an application or two that we can can really bring out here. I think we've already highlighted things that we can learn from Daniel's prayer. Is there anything that we wanted to just really note that we can learn from Daniel's prayer? To come before the Lord, to confess to ask for uh, guidance, for forgiveness, and and uh, for leadership from, from God. Yeah, thank you. Helen? I think just as God answered the prayer of Daniel, so we can have confidence that God will hear and answer our prayers. I like that. Yeah. Len? Of ourselves, we have nothing to offer God. However, because he is merciful, we can rely on his mercy for forgiveness and for help in our time of need. Yeah, that's good. Lydia? We have more reasons to have confidence in God to ask for more in our prayers. Yeah, good, good. After the announcement that God was going to be purifying or cleaning up or cleansing, we find Daniel on his knees, fasting, pleading for purity of soul. 
And I think that um, we need to apply that very principle because we live in a time when we believe God will soon purify everything. His promise is to make a new beginning. Surely people, the people of God, should find themselves in, in, in prayer before him. And I think we have to pray more to God to purify our hearts and make us holy. Mm. Yeah, very good. Ken? Again, one of the things I think that is incredibly important is that reading these uh, words in the Bible, it absolutely proves that we can trust the Word of God because the history's in there, and it just, uh, it's been proven over and over again through historical events. So I think that's an important point that we need to think about. Yes, and that brings us to, to the prophecy itself. Well, what is it that we can really learn from this remarkable prophecy that 500 years in advance predicted the coming of the, the, the very year of the Messiah's baptism and, and the, year, the year of his death? That we can trust prophecy, yes. that we can trust that God reveals the future, and um, that we can entrust our lives to him as well. Well, I think our time is gone. Thank you for joining us for this study. And as we close, we, we will just pray. Thank you, Ken. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this wonderful opportunity to put your words forward. We understand, Lord God, that sometimes for our listeners, many of these things sound complicated and it may put them off. They're not listening. But we understand, Lord God, that through much study that many of us have done and uh, have looked at these things for many, many years that, it is open to us and all the words of, uh, in the Bible are true and they uh, are so important to look through all of them and we pray for all our listeners today that they would be inspired to look into the Bible and dig deep into it and understand that there's truth in there, there's wisdom and there's prophecy and there's life. We ask this Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, everyone, for your contribution to this amazing study. Uh, may God be with you all, and uh, God bless you in everything what you, you do for His glory. I would like to just mention to our uh, listeners that uh, if you are uh, listening from Adelaide, and if you like to know more about these um, prophecies, we are running almost in all parts of Adelaide simultaneously prophecy seminars. Please just search for the Seventh-day Adventist Church and um, make some inquiries about that. One of those who are not held in a, in a Seventh-day Adventist Church, which I um, facilitate, it's in uh, Mosson Lakes. And if you like to check us out, if you like to come along uh, on Denison Center in Mosson Lakes, we have these seminars going on. For the month of March, it's 11 o'clock uh, Saturday morning. And after that, it's um, 2 p.m. Uh, every Saturday. May God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. <laughs>